Hey, everybody, welcome to the Redeem the Day podcast, a seven episode series aimed at helping you be more purposeful, present and productive. I'm Jordan Rayner, author of Redeeming Your Time, and I'm joined by Mark Batterson, author of Do It For A Day and Win The Day. Mark, we were just talking before we started recording. You're a fan of C.S. Lewis, yeah? I am a fan of C.S. Lewis, and I've been dying since the last episode. You mentioned an interesting, rather obscure story from Lewis's life. And so don't keep us waiting any longer, Jordan. <laughs> All right, let's do it. I'm curious. Maybe you know the story. Maybe you don't, but it's a pretty obscure. One. All right. So. We all know Lewis, a lot of people know Lewis was a pretty eccentric guy, right? He drank beers at 10 in the morning with J.R.R. Tolkien. He made up his own rules for Scrabble. Maybe the most eccentric chapter of his life had to do with this woman named Janie Moore. So World War I, C.S. Lewis fought in World War I. He made a promise to his best friend, this guy named Patty Moore, the son of Janie Moore, that if either of the guys were going to die in battle, the other one would look after the deceased's family, right? Hmm. So Patty Moore dies. Do you know this, by the way? No. All right. So Patty Moore dies. Lewis gets a war injury of his own. He's discharged and he makes good in his promise. He comes back to the UK. He moves in with Patty's sister and mother, Janie, who Lewis thereafter called Mrs. Moore. And a lot of biographers suggest that this was a romantic relationship, right? That C.S. Lewis was basically shacking up with his former best mate's mother, which is kind of wild, before he came to faith in Christ. And everything was really happy for a while. In fact, Lewis called the Moors his family, even though his dad and his brother were still very much alive. And Everything was good for a while until Mrs. Moore started making it impossible for Lewis to do his work. She would interrupt him all day long, right? He would be writing a book and she would feign a fall and come and Jack would help her up. And she would say she was like very shaken or whatever. She would make up odd tasks around the house for him to do that were just like totally not urgent, right? But Lewis, to his credit, he never complained. He fulfilled his duty for 30 years. And then Mrs. Moore died. and. Once she died, Lewis's productivity went through the freaking roof. In the six years after Mrs. Moore died, C.S. Lewis wrote 10 books compared to four books they wrote the previous six years. And they weren't just any books. Of those 10 books, it was basically the books that still account for 90% of his sales, Mere Christianity and all seven of the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm. It's a great story, right? Yes. So today's episode, we're asking what happened, right? And, <laughs> and the answer is, for the first time in his life, Lewis was experiencing the magic of deep work, this ability to focus on one important thing at a time. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the enemies in our fight for depth. We don't have Mrs. Moore's running around our house, but we have the equivalent, I would argue. We're going to talk about how practically we can do deep work like Lewis did. And we're going to talk about how we can cultivate depth, not just at work, but also at home as we seek to build relationships with our spouses, our kids, and our friends. So Mark, in your book, Win the Day, you cited this study in which the psychologist found that the average person, this blew my mind, 
the average person spends nearly 50% of their time thinking about something other than what they're doing in the present moment, right? Yeah. Why is this? Well, and what that means is we're half present half the time, which means we're half alive. Yes. And I think that we just aren't good at managing these three time zones, so to speak. You know, you have to, well, if we're in an elevator, Jordan, the way I would say it is that yesterday is history, tomorrow is mystery. You have to win the day or do it for a day, Mm. but you have to bury dead yesterdays. You really have to learn the lesson, but then turn the page and let it go. I think a lot of us are prisoners to one or two or three things in our past. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to glance right over that. I mean, trauma, PTSD, very real thing. And there are things that trigger us. And so that is part of life. But then, you know, it's also the future. We get paralyzed by our anxiety or we fixate on the future instead of really fully living in the moment that is gifted to us. And so this is the human condition. Some of us are better at it than others. I often ask people the question, I'm kind of curious for you, you know, there are people who are more past oriented and people who are more future oriented. Mm. What would be your leaning? And I would have a guess here, but what would be your leaning? Yeah, I'm definitely more future oriented, but but either way, these are internal distractions that fight us from yes. deep work and deep yep. and depth at home, right? Because we're constantly thinking about the past or the future and not the present, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so you've got to figure out some of those tricks of the trade, which is part of what I love about your book, that it's so practical. Yeah. And you brought up C.S. Lewis. There's another writer from that neck of the woods, a little bit more modern writer named J.K. Rowling. Yes. I'm so uh, glad you're going here. This little series that, (laughs) you know, uh, some kid named Harry Potter. But I love the way that, you know, she was facing one of those deadlines. And every writer runs into this like, I just, I can't seem to concentrate. I can't get it done. Mm. And so this moment where she had to check into a a hotel, and if I remember right, I think it was a four or five star hotel, must be nice. Yeah. And said, uh, I'm not going to check out until I have a book to show for it. And so this idea of leveraging deadlines or what, you know, in the world of habit formation, what would be called commitment devices Mm. that you kind of force yourself into a corner. And sometimes that allows uh, for that deep work. Reminds me of Parkinson's law, right? That if you have two weeks, it'll take two weeks. If you have two months, it'll take two months. Mm. This idea that work contracts or expands to fill whatever time we have to do it. And so, yeah, I think there are things that we have to do to really force ourselves just to be fully present doing what we're doing right here, right now. I love the rallying story. I'd heard that before. It's such a good example of a grand gesture, Right? Yes. It's like this one time you spend a crazy amount of money or time on something and it elevates the perceived importance of the task and the deadline, which I love. But yeah, like you said, you know, not all of us can afford to check ourselves into a five-star hotel for two months. So <laughs> I want to share something really practical about this, about how we could do this on a day-to-day basis. Because 
I think you're really wise, and this is the pastor in you coming out to spot those internal distractions that keep us from depth, right? Dead yesterdays, unborn tomorrows that are distracting us. But we also have to recognize that there are a lot of external distractions and specifically like incoming messages, text message, emails, Slack DMs, like whatever. I'm curious for you, Mark, do you find these things just destroying your ability to be productive when they are pinging at you? I imagine you probably don't have them pinging at you, right? Well, my ringer on my phone is very rarely on and I won't answer a call if I don't recognize the number. I will, by the way, I have a rule that if my kids text me, I don't care who I'm meeting with or where I am, I always respond. Even if it's, hey, I'm in the middle of a meeting, is it urgent? I just want my family to know that they have immediate access to me. But I'm pretty good on boundaries otherwise. One thing that's helped me, Jordan, I don't know how you organize your week, but I have what I would call meeting days. And so Tuesday is going to be, I'm in meeting mode and it's going to be wall to wall with very few gaps. And those are the days I get home and give my wife, Laura, a little bit longer hug because I'm kind of hanging on her because I'm exhausted. (laughs) But then that earns me back study days if I'm preaching on the weekend or writing days if I'm in one of those writing seasons. And so finding days that are devoted to different purposes allows me to be in a certain mental mode. And I found that to be pretty critical. What are some of your tricks of the trade? Yeah. So I don't theme my days like that. I have done that in different seasons. But what I have found to be totally critical is taking control over when I check my messages, right? Mm -hmm. Because this is such a rare thing in our world. Offer a quick analogy here. Imagine listeners, if the mailman, instead of coming to your house once a day, started coming 150 times a day. (laughs) But he didn't stay at the curb. He got out of his car came to your front door, rang the doorbell, and you got up from whatever you're doing, took the mail. Maybe you opened it, maybe you don't, but you at least steal a glance at who it's from. That'd be crazy, but that is precisely what we do, (laughs) right? (laughs) That's brilliant. And I would argue Uh, we just cannot do deep work and cultivate deep relationships at home if this is the case, right? So I want to share in a minute, I want to share some really practical steps for helping people take control over when they check their messages. But first, it sounds like you're actually pretty good at this, Mark. And I'm curious because I hear objections to this practice a lot from salespeople, from pastors who are like, I got to be responsive all the time. I can't miss anything urgent. What's been your experience here? Because it sounds like you're pretty good at this. Well, I've gotten better, but it's the school of hard knocks. Many, many years ago, I wasn't so good at boundaries. And my wife and I hit a critical spot where she literally said, Mark, this isn't what I signed up for. Hmm. That's hard to hear. It was a reality check that I was going in way too many directions. And so I actually started putting boundaries in place that I wouldn't take more than 12 overnight speaking trips Mm. in a year, Mm. dialed it back to seven. I'll give the church one night a week because I got to help the kids with homework. Part Mm. of it depends on the season that you're in. There are going to be seasons where you're going to have to counterbalance one way or the other. 
But, you know, at the end of the day, Jordan, I want to be famous in my home. Hmm. And it's hard to be famous in your home if you aren't home. Yeah. And so we have different things that we've employed at different times. Occasionally it's day off, phone off. I think most people know when my Sabbath is, Mm. you know, sundown on Sunday to sundown on Monday, Mm. because I'm a pastor. That is my Sabbath. And generally people respect that if you put that boundary in place. And so, you know, those are a few of the things that I've done that have allowed me to be fully present at home. And yet, like everybody else, let's be honest, if you do check your email late at night, I promise you, that's when you'll get the urgent email. That's when you'll you'll get something that will actually make it tough for you to to get the kind of deep sleep that you Mm. need, because it usually is when crisis happens. And and I've also (laughs) found that when I take control over when I'm checking my messages and set boundaries here, I don't really miss anything that's truly urgent. Right. Have you found the same thing to be true? No, No, I mean, in that the whole purpose of a Sabbath, in my humble opinion, is God wants to prove that he's going to keep the planets in orbit, even if we rest for a day. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Amen. Yeah. You know, the uh, can I share one of my favorite stories? It's I have a Peter Marshall pastored church here in D.C. in the 1950s. He was the Senate chaplain. And he had this season, Jordan, where he had to take a time out from ministry because he was so stressed and so physically drained. And when he came back from that sabbatical, someone asked him what he learned. And I love what he said. He said, I learned that the kingdom of God goes on without Mm. Peter Marshall. Mm. Let's have a little dose of humility here that uh, it's going to keep going without us. That's exactly right. It's going to keep going when we're not checking our cell phones all the time. So, all right, I want to get real practical. If you can't afford like J.K. Rowling to check yourself into a five-star hotel, here's some practical steps you can take to confine when you check your messages every day. Number one, step one, you choose ahead of time when you're going to check messages. Don't be like the mailman getting up every five minutes when he shows up at your door, right? And what's way more important than the number of times you check texts and emails is that you choose. So if you're in sales, you're probably going to have to check your email a lot more than Mark does writing books and leading church, right? But what matters is that you're in control here. Step number two, Mark, you already alluded to this, build a list of VIPs that can have access to you outside those times, that can have access to you at all times. So for Mark, for you, that's your kids, right? Your wife. For me, it's my wife, my kids school because they're too young to have a cell phone, my assistant, a couple of other people. And I just add those people to the favorites list on my iPhone and then turn my phone on do not disturb, which you already mentioned in a previous episode, right? And now phone calls from those people and those people alone can come through, right? And then the final step, step three, Just go to the VIPs in your life and set proactively set clear expectations about your response time, right? Send them a text, send them an email, something real simple like this. Hey, listen, in order to be fully focused on you and my work, whatever I'm focused on the moment, from now on, I'm only checking email and texts at this time, this time, this time, and this time. However, you're a VIP in my life. So if you need me outside those times, don't email me, don't text message me, call my cell phone. And because you're a VIP, it's going to come through every single time. And if I'm available, I'm going to answer. 
right? If you do those three steps, you're going to get so much more deep work done and be fully present at home because it's not just deep work that we want. We want to cultivate a deep life. And this is part of being famous at home, right, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I found that in today's distracted world, our undivided attention and presence is like the most valuable present we can give our kids, especially, right? Because I can be physically present with my kids and be totally absent mentally. Have you experienced that, Mark? (laughs) Absolutely. And I've even experienced it a few times with my heavenly father. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, I love Eugene Peterson. I think he defined worship as interrupting your focus on yourself. Mm. And I've always loved that idea. I think worship is turning our full affection and full attention to God. Mm. And it's the gift of worship that we give to him, but it's also the gift that we give to one another. It sure seems like attention is a resource that is scarce these days. More than oil, more than water, whatever the resource most at risk of becoming extinct in our generation is attention. Mm, Yeah. And the ability to fully focus on one important thing at a time. Hey, Mark, for you at home, let's talk about at home specifically. What practically do you do, digital hygiene habits, whatever, to ensure that you're fully present with your family? Yeah. Well, I think life is lived in stages. And so, so much of this depends, you know, do you have a baby that you are holding and feeding and changing all the time? Uh, Do you have a teenager who retreats to their room and you have to coax them out with food (laughs) a couple of times a day? Or are you an empty nester? You know, a lot of it depends on that life stage. I think the things that immediately come to mind is it's critical one, how you start the day Hmm. and with a degree of intentionality. So when our kids were younger, pretty good chance before they got out the door that I was going to pronounce a blessing on them. May you grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God Hmm. and with man that we were going to try to create some conversations around the dinner table that were more than just mere chatter, but actually had a little bit of substance to them. Mm. I think it's so much of it, Jordan, is leveraging those rhythms of life, almost like the Shema in the Old Testament Mm. that, you know, when you're going out or coming in or at home at work, it's about what are those rituals and routines that make them meaningful I've even found that doing the dishes right now, it's my youngest son, Josiah, who tends to get dish duty, but that means I'm on the clear duty. So even doing those little things together, you leverage them and you find a way to make them meaningful and you create conversation. And then, you know, even walking our dog together at night is a way to just catch up on the day. So, you know, I think it's, Seeing and seizing those little moments that can turn into conversation that allows us to fully vet and fully process what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and generally our day. That's great. Yeah, something I've been doing for a few years now to really help me practically stay fully focused on my family at night, I convert my cell phone essentially into a landline, (laughs) 
for the two and a half hours I spend with my kids every night. So when I end my workday at five o'clock, I take my cell phone and I put it in our master bathroom, right? I put it on do not disturb. So the people who really need to reach me, need to reach me, they'll call and I can answer that. But otherwise my phone is out of sight and out of mind. I'm not tempted to check Instagram. I'm not tempted to check text messages. I can be fully focused on my kids, on my wife. And that habit has been a game changer. It's one of a bunch of practices that I outline in Redeeming Your Time. Here's the thing, guys. Life's too short to spend time on things that only deserve half of our attention, right? Take these practices that Mark and I have shared and others and let them help you do deep work, cultivate deep relationships And just live a deeper, more focused, more Christ-like life. Jesus was crazy focused on the people and things he was doing in the Gospels. We can and should be too. Hey, that's it for today's episode of the Redeem Your Day podcast. Up next on episode five, Mark and I are talking about three rhythms of rest that are counterintuitively some of the most productive things we can do. We'll see you there.